Well, we're going to turn uh, again to our Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to hear of this church chosen to everlasting uh, life. We are on uh, page 922, 922, and we're going to begin reading at verse 44 of Acts chapter 13, page 922. Acts chapter 13, and we'll begin reading there at verse 44. We'll go into chapter 14. Uh, the apostle uh, Paul and Barnabas have been preaching in uh, this, uh, this Gentile city of um, uh, Antioch, and they've been preaching, though, in the, in the Jewish synagogue. Verse 44. This is God's word. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly before the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So reads... God's sure word. Let us uh, pray, shall we, as we come to look at this part of God's word. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray now that the spirit who, who authored and inspired uh, this uh, word, that living divine spirit, might now be a work in us to open our eyes, to warm our hearts, uh, so that truly uh, we might rejoice in our God and Saviour, that we might see Jesus as the altogether lovely one. 
and we might follow him faithfully. To the glory of his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are a divided nation, aren't we? We're divided as a nation. We're divided over uh, what we think of lockdown. We're divided over what we think our relationship to Europe should be. Uh, we're divided uh, over what we think our relationship to one another should be, to Scots and Welsh and uh, Irish and, uh, and English. Small wonder we unite behind a football team and we all breathe a sigh of relief when they win 4-0. Uh, at least maybe we can unite on something. And yet it's not for want of, of trying, is it? Just think how much store we put behind unity and how much we, we shun division and a disunity. Think how much we do that in our families or, or at work or at school. Unity is, is something we aspire to, isn't it? Division, oh, that's something to be avoided. Who, who I wonder, would disagree uh, with the statement? Who, who would disagree with this statement? The United Nations is a good thing. Well, surely we all think unity is a good thing. Unity is always only a good thing. We know, if we are Christians, one of the glorious blessings of the good news of the Lord Jesus is that he brings true unity. The gospel of the Lord Jesus unites us in fellowship with our God, sin forgiven, declared right with God, welcomed as children in his family. And we've seen in the book of Acts how the gospel not only unites us to God, also it unites us to one another. Jew and Gentile, men and women, those from every creed and colour, rich, poor, slave, free, influential, nobodies. And they're all united as brothers and sisters in this one family of faith. United to one another by the same Holy Spirit who enlivens and who is at work in the children of God. In Christ's people. Unity, good. Division, bad. What about unity in disbelief? What about unity in wickedness? What if the whole world were united in rebellion against God? Any good in that kind of unity? Far, far better off for there to be division where some repent and are drawn to new life in Christ than for the whole of humanity to unite against God on their way to destruction. In this book of Acts, we've seen the crucified, risen, exalted Lord Jesus at work in his word, with his word and his spirit through his people whom he's instructed to proclaim himself to the ends of the earth. And in this chapter, Acts chapter 13, we've looked at it for a few weeks now. Paul and Barnabas have arrived in this city of Antioch in Poseidon, proclaiming this message of salvation, of forgiveness of sins, available to all 
in the king whom God has exalted to rule over world history. Paul, Barnabas, they've proclaimed Jesus, he is the focus of our common story, the story we are all part of. Jesus, they've declared, is the answer to our, our common greatest need. And in Antioch, that message we've seen, initially it received a united acceptance. In the verses just before we read this morning, verse 42, we were told this just after the sermon Paul had preached had finished. We're told as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. A united response, so much so that a week later, the whole city, Jew and Gentiles, they're now united in gathering to hear more. That's where our passage began. The gospel preached, and there appears to, to be this initial united response. All listen, want to know more. But it's one thing, isn't it, to, to listen to the gospel. It's another thing to heed the gospel. What if each time uh, you told somebody, you spoke to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, each time you spoke to an unbeliever, about Jesus and, and the salvation uh, that was found in him. Every time you spoke to somebody, they repented and believed. They turned to follow Jesus. A, a united response. Can you imagine if that happened? Evangelism would be easy, wouldn't it? All of our fears about being rejected, gone. But we know, and we see it here in Acts chapter 13... That the response to Christ isn't always just one united yes. We know the gospel message divides. And that shouldn't surprise us. It, it mustn't stop us speaking of Christ with others. One main point this morning and then two things that flow from it. First of all, uh, just this point, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will bring division. The gospel of the Lord Jesus will bring division. It couldn't be clearer here in these verses, could it? Look at verse 45, if you've still got your Bible open. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul, what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. The gospel is proclaimed and there is division. And it's not just a one-off response in Antioch. Uh, Paul, Barnabas, they, they flee to Iconium and we're told there, uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 4, the people of uh, that city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. Is that a surprise? Well, well certainly not for anyone who's read the whole of Luke's account of all that Jesus did and taught. 
Back in uh, Luke's gospel in chapter 2, remember Joseph and Mary, they bring the child, Jesus, into the temple. And the old man, Simeon, is there. He predicts this child is, is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. Here is the one who will divide the whole world. All people of every generation will divide around him. Remember Jesus himself, Luke records in chapter 12 of his gospel. Jesus says, don't think I've come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son and, and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ brings division. No surprise. Rather, all part of what we're to expect to happen as God's eternal plan is worked out. Because this division, it starts off not with different temperaments, not with our different characters, not from being born in a particular place or being born into certain circumstances. No, no. This division starts with God. Look at verse 48 again, will you? When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Luke couldn't be clearer there. It's difficult to, to miss here what he's saying, isn't it? This is the biblical teaching of election, of God's electing being worked out. God appoints God elects, he chooses to eternal life. God chooses, he ordains those who will believe. In eternity past, God chose who would have eternal life. And then in time and space, uh, those people believe in him who gives that life. It's what Jesus had said to those who rejected him. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In mercy, God sets his love upon some and not on others. In mercy, God appoints some to eternal life, but not others. Not because God can see through time and foresee who will believe and who won't believe. Not because God can foresee who will be religious and who won't be religious. No, no, God here appoints to eternal life. He elects those that he will give that faith to in order that they may believe to eternal life. But the one thing we need to note here is that that in no way removes our responsibility, our responsibility to believe. 
Paul says to the Jews who reject uh, his message in, in verse 46, he says, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. Paul says, you willingly thrust the gospel of, of salvation in Christ aside. Just think of the child, and I was thinking this morning, the, 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 the baby who the mother's trying to feed, and they throw the bowl, or they knock the bowl, or the, uh, the spoon out. They thrust aside the gospel of salvation in Christ. God didn't hold a gun to your head. God didn't twist your arm so that you, you had to reject Jesus against your will. No, no, says Paul. You freely did just what you wanted. And if I do just what I want, then I am responsible for my actions. Really important to grasp that. If I do what I want to do, that makes me responsible for the things I do. The Jews were told, verse 50, they incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the cities, they stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They drive them out of their district. Chapter four, 14, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers because they wanted to. Some refused to believe God. And God says, okay, you have done what you want. Here is what you deserve. There will be, will there? There'll be nobody in hell who has spent their lifetime longing to be in heaven, longing to be Christ's. God appoints some to life, others are hardened in rebellion against him. Their own choice, their own thrusting aside this gift of eternal life. I don't want it, get it out of my way. And yet in God's undeserved grace, some believe. What the exalted Lord Jesus Christ is doing as his gospel goes to the ends of the earth. It's the gospel, it's the good news of a shepherd who is seeking out his sheep. There is no para parable, there's no story in the Bible, is there, where the, the sheep are seeking out a shepherd. We, we proclaim the Lord Jesus as saviour. We declare salvation for all without distinction. Uh, all who will come to him. Oh, but the outcome, the outcome of who will receive Christ, it's not in my hands, not in yours, but God's hands. The results are always mixed, belief and unbelief. Those appointed to, and those who don't judge themselves worthy of eternal life. And friends, that helps, doesn't it, as we witness. We do, all of us, we have a responsibility uh, to share Christ with others, to faithfully speak the gospel with any and with everyone. Oh, but friends, the outcome of whether someone believes or not, it's not dependent upon my uh, eloquent words, not, uh, not dependent on how faithful you are. We're not, are we? As I remember somebody once said to me, we're not to be on the, the, the lookout for those we think are lightly candidates for becoming Christians. The, 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 the soft option, oh, I'll go for them. They look as if uh, they're a wounded animal and might uh, become a Christian. 
No, no. It's not because somebody's from the, back, the right background. Not because somebody's had the right education. Somebody holds the right values. We just don't know. As ministers of the gospel, uh, we're not to expect everyone will agree with every word we say each Sunday. The aim in a church is not to keep everyone happy and united. No, we are to speak Christ and leave the outcome to him. Not fearing rejection, not fearing division if some, if many don't believe. Not to assume that we must have just done something wrong because not everybody's on the same page and united. What would it look like when we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour rightly, when we do that faithfully? What will be the right result? What are we looking for? Is it everyone united in belief, in agreement? No, no, that is likely to be a, a sign, actually, that we're not preaching the good news of Jesus faithfully. If, if everybody welcomes our message, if everybody likes what we say, uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, it brings division. But, but secondly, that division means that, that that opposition and persecution will come for those who believe. Opposition and persecution uh, will come for those who believe. Again, it, it is so clear in this passage, isn't it? The Jews, they incite these devout women of high standing. The leading men of the city stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They drive them out. In chapter 14, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews, they stir up the Gentiles. They poison the minds against the brothers. They mistreat, they stone, or seek to mistreat and stone Paul and Barnabas. Just know what happens here. It is the, it's the religious people, isn't it? It is the Jews. It's the ones who adored God, the ones who were passionate about God's word. They're the ones who stir up the persecution against Paul and Barnabas, against the gospel. They're the ones who find the gospel revolting here. Now, we need just to step back. We need to grasp what's going on here. Uh, the Jews, God's Old Testament people, they were the, the nation God had called to himself. They were the nation, the, the people God had made his promises to. Uh, God entered into covenant with the Jews. Uh, the Messiah was their promised Messiah. Salvation was promised to the Jews. That's why Paul says the gospel goes first to the Jews, verse 46. It was necessary, says Paul, because of uh, this promise God had made to you, necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Uh, the good news of uh, God promised to the, uh, to the offspring of Abraham. Reason we read Matthew chapter 22, that uh, parable, parable that Jesus tells of the wedding feast this king gave for his son. Uh, the, the king calls those who had been invited to come and celebrate with him. But they will not heed, they will not accept the invitation. Uh, and we read that in Matthew 22. I don't know whether you thought this. We just think, oh, well, some will reject and, and, and some will accept the gospel. But who were those who had received the invite? They were the Jewish nation who again and again had received God's promises of blessing in the presence of his son who would come. And yet they pay no attention to the king's invitation. They attack and they kill the king's messengers who are sent to invite them. 
Oh, the gospel messenger comes first to the Jews. In the parable, the king says, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. That's the same word that Paul uses here in Acts 13 of these Jews. You don't judge yourselves worthy, or you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. And the king in the parable says, go therefore to the main roads and, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. Go to the Gentiles. It's not that the kingdom of God isn't for Jews and Gentiles together. It's not that the Jews have to reject the gospel in order for the Gentiles to, to be gathered. But the Jewish rejection, it is the, the impetus for the focus now on the Gentiles. I came across uh, this week uh, a passage in, in the prophet uh, Zechariah. Zechariah gives us a picture of what the gospel mission would have looked like if the Jews hadn't rejected their Messiah, their king. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 23. This is how, the, uh, how, how God had, uh, had said this, how, this is how things could be if you will only accept the invitation. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue. That's the Gentiles. The, the, the nations, the ten men from nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The Gentiles would have been gathered to believing Jews who rejoiced that their king had arrived, that the banquet of feasting that they'd invi been invited to uh, was now open. Oh, but these Jews here, they hear of the good news of salvation for all, this news that we've heard of earlier on in Acts 13, that through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And when they hear this message of salvation, this freely given salvation to Jew and to Gentile, to all who believe, uh, salvation without becoming a Jew, salvation without circumcision, without the Old Testament ceremonial law. Do they rejoice? Verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds filled with jealousy. Jealous, the people are flocking to Christ and not to them. Heeding Christ and not heeding them. The Jews reject their king, reject the invitation God had given them. And in doing so, they forfeit eternal life. But their rejection of Christ, it does not mean that God's blessing to the world will somehow fail. Rather, as, as Gentiles enter into God's kingdom, as his blessing is poured out on the nations with Paul in Romans, were to long the Jews become jealous of what God holds out to them. Look what the Gentiles uh, have got through accepting this invitation. This invitation was also given to you. Come to Christ. But it is people, isn't it, of whatever religion or of no religion. But people who think that they're already okay. People who already think, well, I'm acceptable to God who think they've already got all of the answers, who think that they're good people, who think that they're self-righteous people, who think they're on the right side of history, 
who when they hear this, this gospel of forgiveness of sins freely offered in Christ for all, through God's undeserved grace, it is these, these religious people who think they are God who are most angry, who are most jealous, most indignant. They're the people who want the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to be wiped from the face of the earth so that they can live comfortably in their own uh, kingdom of self-righteousness. It's why those who've been in churches all of their life who are very religious people, who, who maybe love their church buildings and love their church Bibles, people who've become institutionally religious in their own little kingdom. It's when they hear the gospel of grace, when they hear the, the demands, the free gospel of God's grace uh, places on them. It, it unseats them from their comfortable perches. And, it in, and they're incited to, to stir up hatred. Maybe some of us have seen something of that in the past. It is frightful. It is horrible religious opposition to the gospel. The, the vicar of London who sought to move hell and high water to stop the Bible believers from St. Helens, Bishopsgate, pr uh, planting a church in his patch of London, contacting MPs, contacting vicars, school children to stop that plan to have a church preaching the gospel. John Calvin notes how the opposition, these new believers in Antioch face, it, it isn't from the social down and out. It's not from the nasties, is it? Did you notice? The Jews, they incite the devout women of high standing. It's the leading men of the city. It's the good people. It's the upright. It's the respectable people. They're the ones who are stirring up the problems for believers. It is hard enough, isn't it, when those who oppose us are, are obviously and are openly wicked people. Oh, but friend, it is a real trial to our faith when those who society sees as the good people, the acceptable people, when they oppose us. But just what we'd expect to see as the gospel goes out, as this divide shows itself in, in persecution to and opposition to Christ's people. Maybe we've seen something of this just in this last week. Uh, the Methodist church, you'll have seen maybe, capitulating on same-sex marriage. The Bishop of Liverpool calling for a radical new Christian inclusion by pushing an agenda of same-sex love. And our society, they're the people our society accepts. They're the nice people, they're the good, the respectable people. Here's a religion that unites everyone. Who wants to be on the wrong side of popular opinion? Oh, but all they're doing is demonstrating which side of this divide they're on. Friend, if that's what we see on one side of this divide, what about the other? What about those who, having been appointed by God to eternal life, receive and accept the gospel of Jesus? Just briefly as we close, uh, let's notice, in, in, in this world, for every divide you could think of in this world, if, if one side opposes, if one side uh, persecutes the other, well, we just expect, don't we, retaliation. We'd respect, well, somebody will get their revenge in. But not with this divide, not with those who accept forgiveness from God in Jesus. 
Look at verse 48 again, if you've still got your Bible open. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Believers are full of the steadfast joy that only new life in Christ from the Holy Spirit can bring. Joy that is so obviously not brought about by trying to keep everybody happy. No, no, this is joy in the midst of suffering, isn't it? These men and women, they've heard and they believe the gospel and their world has basically fallen apart. The religious, the influential people, they're now on their backs, united against them. Now, this is no superficial, always smiley, not a cloud in the sky kind of thrill. Oh, no, this is deep-seated joy. This is joy which is the fruit of the Spirit. Not something we can muster up ourselves. Yet it is something we are to know as those who have new life in Christ. And friends, I think we need to heed this, don't we? You know, I, I've been challenged as this last year we've made our way through this book of Acts. How these believers respond to their world falling apart. And then contrast that with how you and I have responded over the last 18 months. Let me ask, what two things would you say have characterized you? Have characterized me? Have characterized this, this local church? Have characterized the national church? during the pandemic. Can we honestly say that it's been that we've rejoiced and glorified the word of God? Has that been what's marked you out? That you've been filled with the joy and with the Holy Spirit? Again and again, as we've made our way through Acts, we've seen the church in hard circumstances, under pressure, persecuted, and Luca said the one thing that has characterized them was their joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not anxiety, not concern over what other people thought, uh, not fear over their safety, not even a gritty determination to see things through. I'm sure all of those things maybe were present at different times. But what you could not ignore about these believers was their joy in the Lord Jesus the rejoicing that comes from having crossed over this divide from the kingdom of darkness into Christ's glorious light. From knowing that what our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, we as those who have been brought to him, united to him, have now become. Not in every way, but certainly in this, in verse 47, Paul says, I have quotes uh, Isaiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah was speaking of the suffering servant who would be sent by the Lord. Uh, Simeon, back in the temple in Luke 2, he applies these words to the child Jesus. Jesus is the light of the nations of the world to bring salvation into the darkness. But now here, the Spirit leads Paul to apply these words to Christ's witnesses in the world. That as you and I witness to Christ in a world who in their morals, who in their thinking, who in their behavior, 
whose desires, they're all full of darkness. You and I, friend, as we go out into the world this week, we are to be a light to the nations, radiant with the joy of Christ's salvation. If we're not convinced God's working in this world to call his people to himself, causing division by bringing people out of darkness into the glorious light of the kingdom of his son. If we're not convinced that what this world desperately needs isn't a united front on the, in the face of COVID to keep every one of us alive for as long as possible. Isn't some kind of uh, united prosperity where everybody is, uh, is wealthy. Isn't a united uh, uh, attack uh, so that uh, we can have everybody educated uh, to a high level. We need to be united, don't we, as Christ people that salvation is found in him alone. And if we're not convinced of those things, we will not rejoice in our suffering as we hold out the gospel. We won't even persevere in suffering for Christ when the going gets hard. Indeed, friends, I'd suggest we won't even know that true, deep and lasting joy, whatever our circumstances, which is what the Spirit alone gives. Joy that comes from being in Christ, the light of the world whom we as those whom God has saved by his grace are to witness to, to the ends of the earth. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Oh, our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this work of salvation that you are doing. Oh Lord, we confess and have confessed to you uh, how we fall short of your glory and how left to ourselves we are deserving of judgment, of destruction, even of hell itself, your wrath upon us. That is what we deserve in common with all. And therefore we thank you for the rich mercy of God. We thank you, Lord, that you have appointed some to life eternal and in your amazing grace that this morning we might be found in that throng not because of anything in us but because of the work of God because of the spirit of God who's enlivened our hearts to see Christ as our all in all oh but Lord help us we pray therefore to, to rightly shine as the light the Christ is in this dark world to speak of him to witness to him in our thoughts in our words in our actions oh that all might see that there is a savior that all might see that God is graciously calling uh, children home uh, so that the whole uh, the, the whole company of God's people the whole family of God's children might be united forever around that heavenly throne, uh, singing salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.